Tonight, Trudeau decides that radical groups like Greenpeace should be allowed to have tax-free charity status. Should the rebel become a charity too? It's August 16th and you're watching The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Lisa. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Justin Trudeau has announced that he intends to give his anti-oil sands allies full charity status and more than that, to remove long-standing restrictions on their political campaigns. You'll recall that in the 2015 election, more than 100 so-called third-party campaign groups registered with Elections Canada and all but one of them were pro-Trudeau. They conducted opinion polls, they had lawn signs and other ads, they had sophisticated get-out-the-vote campaigns. They were particularly active in British Columbia and helped Trudeau win so many seats there, which is why he, in return, blocked the Northern Gateway Pipeline and bought the Trans Mountain Pipeline so he could slow down and stop its expansion. So yesterday, Trudeau's Minister of National Revenue announced that Trudeau is going to permit political activity, political lobbying, public pressure, and propaganda campaigns and remove any limit on them until now. Understand, charities were only allowed to spend up to 10% of their money on politics. Now, that's unlimited. Now, it's no coincidence that Trudeau's right-hand man, Gerald Butts, was the former president of the World Wildlife Fund Canada, one of these hyper-political lobby groups that somehow got charity status. You should know that the World Wildlife Fund continued to pay Gerald Butts for more than a year after he left their company and went on to work for Justin Trudeau, they literally subsidized Trudeau's principal secretary massively, huge, almost half a million Canadian dollars. Just massive, huge transfers of cash. What an obvious quid pro quo for Gerald Butts to now return the favor. A more ethical government would not have permitted that, but then again, Justin Trudeau himself is the first prime minister ever to be convicted of breaking a federal law four times namely the conflict of interest laws. I mean, seriously, a prime minister who takes a free $100,000 holiday on a billionaire's private island and keeps that secret, he's not really going to complain about his principal secretary pocketing, I don't know, almost half a million Canadian dollars from a lobby group, is he? It's not just Trudeau's right-hand man. The chief of staff to the global warming minister, Catherine McKenna, his name's Marlo Reynolds. He used to be the boss of the Pembina Institute, another anti-oil sands lobby group in trouble with the CRA. The chief of staff to Jim Carr, Zoe Caron, was the president of the Sierra Club of Canada, another lobby group in trouble with the CRA, the senior environmental advisor to Trudeau himself. This lady, Sarah Goodman, was the senior vice president of the Tides Foundation, repeatedly audited for breaking charities laws. Do you see a pattern here? All of these anti-oil sands extremist groups, all of these lobbyist groups, each of which is foreign funded, each of which campaigns against our oil and gas industry, they all have their charitable status under review at the Canada Revenue Agency, them and others, and frankly, I helped lead the charge against them when I ran that little group I had called ethicaloil.org, so they were all in jeopardy because you simply can't engage in politics while claiming charitable tax status. You can't. It has to be less than 10% of what a charity does. Now, I'll come back to Trudeau's announcement in a moment, but, but let me just remind you about what a charity is and what a charity isn't. 
Do you think that Greenpeace is a charity? Of course it is not. It is a political advocacy group, at best, a criminal organization at worst. I don't say that as an insult, rather it's an observation. It's the signature tactic of theirs to commit crimes, trespass, vandalism, mischief. They're not spontaneous events, random acts. They're not accidents, they are planned PR tactics, and every single one of them is accompanied by a fundraising campaign. That's not a charity. And you don't need to take my opinion for it. On two separate occasions, the Canadian government, the CRA, or as it used to be called, Revenue Canada, revoked Greenpeace's charity status. Once under a conservative prime minister named Brian Mulroney and once under a liberal prime minister named Jean Chrétien. And I mentioned those two partisan prime ministers to imply unanimity on the subject. But of course, the decision is not made by the prime minister. It's made by nonpartisan bureaucrats and auditors at the Canada Revenue Agency. See, it's not a political partisan decision as to whether or not Greenpeace is a charity. It's a matter of fact and law. The law is called the Income Tax Act. You simply don't get the benefits and privilege of, of being a charity if you don't meet the tests. And, and decades, even centuries of law and policy tell us what a charity is and what a charity isn't. It's common sense and it's history. It's our culture, really. Traditionally, charities are hospitals, schools, religious institutions, and then there's sort of a catch-all, things indisputably for the public good, like a food bank. It has to be indisputable, otherwise it wouldn't be a charity. If there was another side to the story, then it's just politics, not charity, right? There, there is no other side to the story. There's no counterpoint to, to an orphanage or to a food bank, right? But there is, to what Greenpeace does, they're against capitalism, they're against oil and gas, for example, but that is far from a universal position. And of course, there's Greenpeace's tactics which themselves are inherently illegal, they couldn't possibly be a charity. David Suzuki doesn't commit crimes like Greenpeace. Actually, I'm not so sure about that. He appears to be breaking a court injunction here in front of Kinder Morgan. And of course, he went to the Burnaby riots a few years ago to give support to the lawbreakers there. But he's normally more careful than that. But still, here's Suzuki, uh, after whom the David Suzuki Foundation is named, filming a Liberal Party campaign ad with Dalton McGinty a few years back, clearly partisan. Why does he get to call that charity? All of the 100 groups that promoted Trudeau in the last election, why is any of that charitable? All these foreign-funded lobbyists, why is that a charity? As in, why do you and I have to work hard at our businesses and we pay taxes so these people don't have to? And so they can issue tax receipts for their causes? I know the answer when it comes to hospitals and orphanages, because we all agree, whether we're left-wing or right-wing, liberal or Tory, that anyone who runs an orphanage is doing something for us all, in a way, for humanity, and we should support that. Run an orphanage, run a food bank. But why do you and I have to pay our taxes so that Greenpeace wouldn't have to? And that's what this announcement yesterday from Trudeau says. Not only is he going to let charities be political now, so Greenpeace can come back in as a charity now. But he's going to retroactively give a de facto pardon to all of his crooked friends who were breaking the law for years. Let me quote from the press release. Our government intends to present legislation to this effect in the fall. The Canada Revenue Agency will develop supporting guidance in collaboration with the charitable sector. That is, he's going to ask his buddies, should we legalize it? Gee, what are they going to say? The legislation will be drafted to apply retroactively, including to the audits and objections that are currently suspended. This suspension will be lifted when the legislation is passed by Parliament, unquote. Do you see what he's saying? Trudeau is saying everyone who cheated under the existing Income Tax Act, 
Everyone who thought they were above the law thought they could get away with it. Everyone who thought that paying taxes was just for the little people. Everyone who thought because they were Trudeau's cronies they'd get away with it. They are all going to get away with it. They're all getting their problems with Revenue Canada just wiped out. Must be nice, eh? If you were audited by Revenue Canada, like the Tides Foundation and the other pro-Trudeau lobby group charities were, if you were audited for tax evasion for your business, if you broke the law and in, were in trouble, would you be able to call up the Prime Minister and have him call off the auditors and make all of your tax cheat problems go away? And so gross, so unethical. I've already shown you how the senior staff in Justin Trudeau's key ministries are affiliated with these very charities that are being audited. Can you imagine if Stephen Harper had appointed senior oil and gas executives to run all the key ministries in his government, energy, environment, the PMO, and then passed laws retroactively pardoning any oil companies for their law breaking? And then it turned out that Harper's senior aide had actually been on an oil company's payroll for two years, collecting almost half a million Canadian dollars out of it. It would be a scandal of the first order. It is a scandal of the first order with Trudeau, but you won't read about it on the CBC or in the Globe and Mail. How, how could you? The CBC, David, David Suzuki, is their star. They're not going to condemn him. Hey, I, I, I have one question for you. If political advocates can now get charity status, so they don't have to pay tax and they can give charity receipts to anyone who gives their money, if that's now on, should we here at the Rebel create a Rebel Charitable Foundation too so we can issue tax receipts to you? I mean, if that's the law now, should we do it too? Stay with us for more. Well, weeks after the eviction order from the city of Burnaby, months after other court orders and restraining orders were applied, years after the infamous Burnaby Mountain riots that David Suzuki himself attended, I am pleased to report that the anti-pipeline protesters, the professional hobos who were blocking it, while they're being extracted, finally, slow but finally, the rule of law has returned to the pipeline. And joining us now to talk about this is our pipeline expert who was out there just a couple weeks ago, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Sheila, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. I'm so excited these hobos are being shoved into the garbage can. I couldn't be more pleased. I'm so happy. <laughs> you know what? And um, we uh, invited you to go out there when the eviction yeah. order was was served on them, but we foolishly thought that the rule of law would mean you get an eviction order, you move out. But as your own report had showed, the city was slow walking everything and these protesters knew they could get away with anything because really the city of Burnaby is politically opposed to this pipeline and they didn't even mean it when they demanded them to be cleared. It's, it's amazing it's finally happening at all. You know what, I think though, uh they had to do something and they had to do something now. The city of Burnaby is under a state of emergency with the wildfires. And these hobos are up there drunk and high 
um, burning a fire 24 hours a day in front of highly flammable diesel tanks. And I don't know about you, but I don't trust a bunch of drunk hobos to maintain a fire and make sure that it doesn't get away and burn down the mountain. And I think the state of the emergency was the last straw. You know, that's a very uh, wise observation. And just monitoring the persistent low-level crime, just the mm -hmm. resources that had to be deployed there to handhold these, you, you call them hobos, and I know it's a funny word, we don't use the word hobo often enough these days. Um, no. But it's so darn accurate. Um, and we know constant assaults on police, constant as you mentioned, drug use, the fact that they have this illegal shantytown, obviously a fire hazard, a hazard to pedestrians, a hazard to drivers, a hazard to themselves, and it's super gross because there's families living not far away. That was a luxury, and when you're in the middle of a fire crisis, you don't have luxuries like that. Right. And I, I was reading some of the reporting this morning that was coming out um, from the local reporters who are in attendance at Camp Cloud. And I felt very vindicated in my reporting because uh, um, when the police swept in there at just after 5 a.m., they arrested about four people. So everybody who spends the night at the camp amounts to about four people. Um, the camp's leadership had already long uh, left the camp to avoid arrest. And, you know, it's funny because you always call the people, these hobos, these homeless people, uh, cannon fodder. And really, that's what they turned out to be today. Sapora Berman, she swept in, you know, after the police showed up so that she wouldn't be arrested with the initial batch of homeless people. Uh, and the camp's leader, Patricia Kelly, she was safe in her own comfortable kitchen uh, doing a Facebook Live this morning as all of her cannon fodder were being arrested. You know, you say that and it's a good reminder. I, I've seen this with my own eyes in Ontario against Line 9. I spent a fair bit of time with the protesters against that pipeline in Ontario. And my first reaction was disgust. My second was anger. But then my third emotion was sorrow because they truly I mean mm -hmm. we're joking about the word hobos but many of them really are drug addicts many of them are yep. homeless they really are many of them are emotionally disturbed in some way they're uh, they're mentally ill and they're given a false sense of family they're given an artificial income if they are really the shock troops of the paid professional anti-oil lobbyists so you know, take Sapora Berman, who's a six-figure international lobbyist. She goes in, she gets all the, the, the media. She, she's the one who Rachel Notley incredibly appointed to be co-chair of her Oil Sands Advisory Council. She lets the little people get the arrest, maybe even get physically roughed up if there's an altercation. I remember meeting someone in Ontario named Trish Mills who was obviously arrested development, lots of mental issues. She, in fact, had a blog about her own mental illness, not physically well. She was 300 pounds. She, her way of be, having a community, Sheila, was to do the craziest things yeah. so that she would earn some respect from the rest of the protesters. There was another girl, I won't say her name. She earned respect from the other protesters by giving them sex. So we're talking about mentally ill people trying to impress 
environmental organizers. We're talking about a, a woman who obviously is so damaged that she's the, the I, don't, I don't even want to say prostitute, but she gives sex to the men there. That's her, like these are people who are deeply damaged and they are being used and abused as the pawns in this larger game and all the fancy people are not there. That's what it says, so I actually have some pity for the four losers who had nowhere to go and now are going to jail while all the organizers are back in Vancouver sucking on $8 cappuccinos. Yeah, and I mean, you, you bring up the fact that these are not well people. Imagine being a taxpayer around the corner um, from this encampment when all these not well, violent, drug-abusing people are just... It, infesting your neighborhood and you're looking at the city and the police for help. Well, thankfully the help finally came. Um, it, you know, it was funny. I was also reading some other articles about how the protesters spent the week and instead of, you know, cleaning up or trying to comply with some of the bylaws that they're in, in violation of, they spent the week practicing tying themselves to their shanties in an attempt to make, uh, it, it more uh, an attempt to resist arrest basically is what it comes down to. That's what they did with their time. That's what they're doing with their time, yeah. figuring out ways to break the law. You know, it's incredible to me. You mentioned that only four people were actually there. That reminds mm -hmm. me of Occupy Wall Street. I remember way back, yep. almost 10 years ago, when Occupy Toronto was a big thing, and there was this whole tent city in this downtown park. There were like 50 tents there. And I went there at 3 a.m. with someone from the Sun News Network, and we had an infrared camera, a heat-seeking camera, and we proved that every single tent was empty except for the one tent where you had a couple of guys smoking pot and you could see that tent was lit up uh, on the infrared camera. So we went there and I <laughs> proved it was a Potemkin village is what they would say in Russia. The fact that only four people and they were paid hobos is what's stopping this national pipeline is such a shame and disgrace to our nation but, but the shame rests with them, but also their manipulators. I've always said, Sheila, Greenpeace, in my mind, meets the legal test for a criminal organization. That's in our criminal code. It's, it's like our version of a RICO statute. It's an organized group of people that collude to commit a crime for profit in the name of the organization. And Greenpeace does that. That's their chief way to raise funds. Uh, Zipporah Berman was from Greenpeace. This whole thing is an organized criminal activity. And these four people who were arrested today, they're actually, they're like the drug mules. They're not yep. the real problem. The real problem is like the drug kingpin. You know, the, the um, I, I'm just very sad to hear what you said today, actually. It makes me sad because even though I don't know those four people and I know they're probably awful and I know they were awful to you when you're out there, I know that they too are actually victims of, of professional environmentalists. Well, I think too that uh, we're all sort of a victim of the bad reporting at Camp Cloud. I was the only skeptical journalist who bothered to go back there after dark, after all the uh, cameras went home to tell the truth about what that place was like, that it was literally only four homeless people. I said four to six homeless people holding up uh, a multi-billion dollar pipeline project. I don't think the mainstream media has been 
uh, truthful and skeptical enough with the motives and uh, the conditions at Camp Cloud. Yeah, you're so right. You know, you say Camp Cloud because that's what they've nicknamed it. I, I actually <laughs> sort of hate saying that word because that makes yeah. a cloud. A cloud is uh, clean and beautiful yeah. and fluffy. This is like Camp, camp uh, you know, septic tank or something. I mean, and, <laughs> and by the way, I'd like to encourage all our viewers to want to know the reality of Camp Septic Tank to go to our special <laughs> website we made up. What was it, was it, uh, can you tell me, I don't want to get it wrong, where all your- Rebel, it was rebelburnaby.com. That's right, I, I thought that, I just didn't want to say it wrong. Rebelburnaby.com, you did great journalism, and the most interesting point was when a rival journalist tried to mm -hmm. get you run out of there because that rival journalist was actually in league with the protesters. Last word to you, Sheila, do you think that um, they'll stay away or do you think there'll just be more lawbreakers hopped up on drugs and foreign money? Well, I think that there will be more lawbreakers hopped up on drugs and foreign money. I don't think, I don't think that they will be uh, in Burnaby in that specific site anymore. I think uh, the proof is going to be in the pudding when that pipeline, if it ever <laughs> starts construction, I think that the initial construction sites are going to be plagued by these people. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you my last thought, Sheila. Um, we see in regulatory filings that Kinder Morgan now says construction will be a year delayed. Uh, mm -hmm. I interpret that as Justin Trudeau is waiting until his 2019 election, after which he's gonna stop, and nothing will happen until then, so he'll be able to say to BC, nothing's happening, and then the second after the election, he'll drop any pretense of building that pipeline. I believe it will never get built as long as you have an NDP government in BC and a, and a Trudeau in Ottawa, that's my view. I agree. Hmm. Dark days. Thankfully, Donald Trump is resurrecting the Keystone XL. Sheila, thanks for following this file and doing real journalism on it when no one else would. Great. Thanks, boss. All right. There you have it, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Uh, may I recommend her videos at rebelburnaby.com. And if you want to chip in, you know, we flew Sheila out there and a cameraman, and so we spent a few thousand bucks getting her out there. Obviously, we don't have the resources of a CBC, so if you want to help chip in for our airfare, and I think we put them up in hotels for a couple nights, too, uh, please do. You can do that at rebelburnaby.com. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back. I want to show you a trailer for a powerful new movie. Take a look. All right, listen up. We are looking for anything that looks like drugs or paraphernalia. Philadelphia Police Department, we have a search warrant. What is that smell? I mean, you got to see this. Is this normal? I don't know. I've never been in an abortion clinic before. You are not going to believe what I saw last night. How many? So far, we found over 30 of them. Healthy woman goes into a clinic, comes out dead, and there's no police report? Files have been moved recently. Look at this. You'll be the prosecutor who went after reproductive rights, and you'll be a racist to boot. You've got a lot of folk who'd like to see abortion outlawed. And this is not going to be the case that gives them an excuse. Prosecution has offered you a plea bargain, Dr. Gosnell. And I would have to admit I was guilty. I'm not guilty. When you get to the courthouse, you are going to be swarmed by reporters. 
You ready for this, Counselor? Where is everybody? When was the last time your division inspected Dr. Gosnell's clinic? We had instructions directly from Governor Ridge's office not to inspect. Wouldn't testify in that case about anything. You doubt you'll find a doctor who will. And you look at the facts, you will see what I see. An overly zealous Catholic investigator. Back is that what you want to make this about? Nothing that man did that protects women or children. And you don't have to be a pro-life activist to see that. Kermit Gosnell is perhaps the most prolific serial killer in American history. You better win. Absolutely chilling. chilling. And as you know, it's a film rooted in the facts. Joining us now is Fella McAleer, the filmmaker behind the project film. Congratulations. I know you and I have talked about this before. It's it's very exciting to see it come to fruition and to have an actual release date. Congratulations to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been a, a long, a long path. Uh, the mainstream media and the, and the mainstream culture in Hollywood, they, they didn't want this out there. They never wanted this story told. They didn't want it told in the newspapers, online, and they certainly didn't want a movie made out of it. So it was very nice that we were able to do it. And, uh, you know, we crowdfunded and many of your viewers, many of your viewers, Give give small donations to make this happen. Um, and, you know, we can see that we saw the donations coming in. So I want to thank those people. You made it happen. Uh, and uh, thank you. Well, Felon, you're very uh, generous to remember that. I recall uh, talking to our people about it. In fact, we learned so much from you about crowdfunding. It's really the lessons we learned watching you have helped build the Rebels. So it's uh, we thank you also. Now, uh, the movie itself, some very famous names in there. I'm, I'm sure a lot of our viewers will recognize Dean Cain. I remember him from the old Superman uh, show that he was in. Um, some other names there, less familiar, the... the uh, the star or the anti-star of the movie, um, Dr. Gosnell himself is played by Earl Billings. Very, very compelling, at least in this trailer. You had some other star talent there too, Nick Searcy, um, Andrew Clavin as the writer. That is, how did you put, pull them all together? How did you get a, a team like that? Uh, you know, you, you start off with a great story, then you start off with a great script, then you start off with a great director who convinces the actors that this is going to be a great movie. Um, it's a lot of hard work, um, you know, and uh, I think there was a sense that we were doing something unique here, doing something that wasn't done before, doing something exciting. People like these true stories to actors. Uh, you know, they love this true stories. They love real characters. They love taking real characters and working with them. And, you know, you couldn't get much more dramatic than this. This is America's biggest serial killer. This is a, a story that was covered up by politicians for 20 years, and then the media covered it up. Uh, but it was brought down by social media. It was a social media firestorm that brought the Kermit Gosnell story to the, to, to the main, forced the mainstream media, shamed the mainstream media into covering it. So we need people to come out on October 12th when it comes out. Um, I want, one thing I want to say to people is, you know, it's about a very tough subject, but we have deliberately not made it tough. It's PG-13 which in America means 13-year-old can go and see it. Uh, you know, so it's it's palatable. It's about the trial and investigation. We leave a lot to the imagination. We don't spell it out. So uh, it's, it's, you know, let's make it a success. Let's have the cover-up stop here. And, you know, 
your viewers were so good at the beginning. Uh, let's let's get everyone out to see it now. Well, that, I'm very glad you said that because, of course, there is that scene where Dean Cain says, what's that smell? What's going on? I've never been in an abortion clinic before. It sounds terrifying, but it sounds like it's a film that people could take teenagers to without uh, worried about them being too disturbed by at least the graphic. I mean, the, mm. the ideas are disturbed. There's, but it, there's, nothing there's nothing graphic in it at all. Yeah. Zero. It's PG-13. And in fact, we have shown it to groups of people and they said, I have to take my teenage children to see this. Mm. It's one of those movies. You know, there were some interesting things in the trailer there about all the pressure on the police and the prosecution not to proceed. There's political pressure because to put abortion in a bad light is incorrect. Yeah. Uh, Kermit Gosnell, I shouldn't even call him doctor, I called him doctor there before, he does not deserve that title. He was black and the majority of his, um, the women who came to his abortion clinic were black. So I can imagine ideologically, racially, there's the religious aspect, is this just a religious prosecution? All those pressures against the prosecution, I can imagine you had all those same pressures against you as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood didn't want this made. Remember, we, we wanted to raise the money through Kickstarter, and Kickstarter threw us off because uh, we couldn't say murdered babies, even though he was convicted of murdering babies. Right. Because uh, and, and Kickstarter's wonderful phrase, it would offend their community values. Hmm. Remember that one? Yeah. And I, I wrote back, because I don't want to be part of any community that uh, likes to lie. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, from the very beginning, the establishment was against this. Uh, and, uh, you know, People now need to turn out on October 12th and show the establishment that they can't get away with this. Now, you're based in California. Obviously, this movie um, is American in nature, although the lessons are global. Uh, it mm -hmm. happened in Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of our viewers, fellow, are Canadian, and they'll want to see this too. I know it's coming out in America on October 12th. Do you have any plans for Canada yet? I know that you're focused on the big, important market, but let me just say that if there's any way we can help uh, by hosting a, a, f a film or anything, we're interested in it. Can you keep us posted as you get Canadian release yeah. news? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, it's, it's one of our priorities is to get Canadians to see it because uh, it's a big, it's a story there. And, you know, a disproportionate amount of the fundraising came from Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, well, that's yeah, very yeah. encouraging. Those, those may well have been things. our people, because I know you and I talked about this before. Now, uh, before we turn the cameras on, you suggested that there's a chance that this film might find uh, an online distributor like maybe a Netflix. Is that a possibility? It's going to totally be on Netflix, 100%. Well, you never know what, what the way it is now, but we, we, are, we have a, a path to Netflix. Uh, it was very important to us that the distribution deal included that path so that everyone could then see it. So people are going to get to see it. And, and, and the funny thing is, it's going to be in the serial killer category of Netflix or the wow. crime category. Wow. And people are going to just watch it casually and they're going to learn a lot and they're going to be entertained. And uh, it's going to provoke some very interesting reactions because the truth always does. You know, that's, that's so important because if this were to go in, like th this is a factual story, this actually happened. In fact, Hannah, can we put up an image here? There's an image of um, those empty court benches. Uh, you showed them in the film, but this is an actual photograph here we're showing on the screen right now, Phelan, taken mm -hmm. in the actual court back in 2013. Let me just read it. Reserved media seats Thursday morning in courtroom 304 in Philadelphia where Gosnell 
is on trial and they are empty except one person. So that scene in your dramatization is exactly the way it was. But your movie, if it came across as, you know, eat your spinach, this is a documentary, I don't think people would watch it. You put it in the serial killer category, I think people will watch it. Yeah, well, that's what it was. It's a crime story. You know, this is a, this is a, a mass crime. This is a crime, very interesting, that was covered up by uh, the political establishment, covered up by the media. Maybe Mark Ruffalo would like to uh, come to the premiere, you know, um, uh, and all those other Hollywood types that love to do movies about media cover-ups and, and big cover-ups, you know. But uh, they, didn't, they don't seem to be that interested in this one. So we did it ourselves. It's, uh, as you can see from the trailer, it's a real Hollywood movie. We wanted to, be, to look like a movie. That was very important that this didn't come across as preachy or didactic or boring or worthy. That it was a drama. And, you know, the story just oozes drama. So that wasn't very difficult. Are you going to have a premiere style event in Hollywood? Um, are you going to have a public event? <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. My God, you think I'd you think I'd waste an opportunity to rub Hollywood's noses in this? <laughs> well, it's not just Hollywood; yeah, it's the news media too. Well, we've got some yes. talent down in in Hollywood these days. We have Amanda Head; uh, her nickname is the Hollywood Conservative, and we have some other voices. Maybe we could send a camera crew to your red carpet. Will you have a red carpet? Of course, we'll have a red carpet. October the 9th in Hollywood. That's when the premiere is going to be. Okay, so October the ninth is the premiere in Hollywood, and October the twelfth is the general release, and. Um, and you can let us know if there's a Canadian option, and if there is, we'll sure let our people know. Uh, obviously, everyone's got Netflix, but I think it would be fun to have a, a Canadian event. What's the website for people to go to? Is that just Gosnell Movie? Yeah, GosnellMovie.com. We're going to put the list of the cities up very shortly, and uh, that should be, you know, that'll help people plan their, their outing. And we need people to go bring 10 people, really pack out the opening weekend. I don't, I'm not sure if people understand. The opening weekend is, is the one that ensures this movie will expand and keep growing. Uh, you know, if it's not a big weekend at uh, the opening, then the Hollywood closes it down and says, oh, we need that for the latest Marvel superhero movie or whatever, need that theater. So we need to show there's an appetite for this. So the way you do that is you have a big first weekend. You know, you're so right. I mean, that's the big push for every movie, that opening weekend, because then that determines how much Hollywood's going to get behind it. Well, not Hollywood, at least the movie theaters. So we'll we'll do our best to, to let our folks know. Um, well, listen, congratulations. Uh, it's, it's so satisfying to see this project come to a successful conclusion. I remember when you first contacted me, I think I was back at Sun News Network, if I recall, when I first got this, the phone call from you. So it's really nice to see this come to fruition. And you're very nice to mention our Canadian uh, supporters, because our people like to crowdfund projects they believe in. And thank you for mentioning that. We'll support you every step of the way, Phelan, on this project and all your others. Great, thank you, thank you, Ezra. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but. Your people came on, on board, and now we need them for this final push. All right. Well, well, we'll be there for sure. Congratulations again, and all the best to the team and the crew who worked so hard. That's, that's great. All right, everybody, you heard the news. October 12th is, the, uh, is when the movie rolls out in the United States. Felon will keep us posted on Canadian opportunities. We'd love to be involved. And even if it's not in theaters, you'll be able to watch it on Netflix. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel.
Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Trudeau creating a new holiday that focuses on the history of residential schools and shames Canadians as racist. Tammy writes, celebrating Aboriginal achievements would be a more honest holiday. I will not accept the narrative that it is up to me to jump into self-loathing and repentance. I recognize the harms residential schools created for a large swath of Aboriginal families. And if the government is serious about addressing the wrongs of the past, then repeal the Indian Act. That is exactly my point, Tammy, is this whole thing is a placebo. It's a distraction. It's a bait and switch. We actually do have racism against Aboriginal people in Canada. I've gone through the Indian Act in great detail. Maybe I should do that again, a refresher of all the ways it is racially discriminatory. I'll just give you my one most shocking example. If you're an Indian on an Indian reserve, you cannot do a last will and testament the same way regular Canadians are that aren't under a racist law. No Indian living on a reserve has the right to make their own will. It must be approved by the band or they get, they get to decide. You know, and, and the condescension in that law is, oh, an Indian can't be trusted to make his own will. That's the racism of the law. That's the underlying racist purpose of the law. That's called the Indian Act. That is on the books today. Don't create a new holiday about grievance and hucksterism. How about deal with the racism on the books today? Ron writes, the last federally operated residential school closed in 1996. Pierre Trudeau was prime minister from 1968 to 1979. Who paid for that park in Winnipeg dedicated to the founder of Pakistan? Yeah, there's a lot of questions there. And, you know, I should say that Pierre Trudeau himself, Justin Trudeau's father, said it wasn't the role of government to repent for or apologize for the past. I don't have the exact quote memorized, but Pierre Trudeau was more sensible in some ways than his son. Bruce writes, I went to a residential school of a different type. The government experts figured blind kids could only be educated by specialists. We were sent to distant residential schools to be with our own kind. I don't feel that the entire nation should be shamed for that. Bruce, that is very interesting. I had not heard of that before, but I take your word for it. Um, listen, there are things that have been done in Alberta. I don't know if you remember or know this. Uh, even most Albertans probably don't know. There was an official policy of eugenics. Sterilization, forced sterilization of people who were deemed to be defective. Can you believe that? Now, there was later some, there was in the 30s and 40s, um, there was part of the whole Socrat. Tommy Douglas, by the way, his master's thesis was on how we need to sterilize poor people, dumb people, and other defectives. Look it up. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of, lot of things that, at the time, were supposedly very progressive, but now, uh, with the passage of time we see weren't, should we have a national day about that, or should we just fix the problem where we can, learn from it, and try and focus on being our best. I really like what Andrew Clavin said yesterday. We celebrate the best things in life because we want that to be who we are. We want to do more of that. We don't obsess over the worst things in life because we don't want to emphasize that. On my interview with Sue Ann Levy about the Antifa assault on a Toronto Sun photographer, Jerry writes, why are you not calling this a robbery? Theft with violence. If police won't lay the charge, then have the photographer lay a private charge. The police charge all sorts of people who steal hats. That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. I assume he didn't get his hat back. That's absolutely robbery. Uh, the fact that it, you know, it was a $20 hat, not a $20,000 car, is irrelevant. And the fact that it was done in violence is shocking. 
Hey, do you remember in, in Toronto a few years back, there was a cop, uh, he got the nickname Officer Bubbles because someone was blowing bubbles at him. And he sort of growled and said, if one of those bubbles touches me, I'm going to sue you for assault. And, and it became a whole thing. I don't know if you remember that. So police can be very, very active when they want to be, but they thought it was just fine to let a son photographer get hammered and his hat stolen because, you know, it's just the Toronto Sun. The irony is, as Sue Ann said, the Toronto Sun is the most pro-police newspaper in Toronto. Well, that's our show for today. What do you think about the idea of setting up a rebel charity? I do not believe we're a charity, by the way. I think what we do is political. Um, I enjoy it. I hope you get satisfaction from it. But I would never put us on par with feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, teaching people, you know, hospitals. I would never pretend that we are of that moral caliber. Now, we do help some charities, as you know. And we do some things that I think would meet the test of charitable work. Remember when we raised more than 200 grand for those uh, kids whose dad Christopher Spear was murdered by Omar Khadr. I mean, that felt charitable, you know what I mean? Um, I guess we raised money for uh, Jordan Peterson's scholarship and, and his grad students. I don't know if you remember that. That, I guess, meets the test of charity when you donate money to like a, like a university. So we do some charitable things here, but generally, you know, when I rant about politics, that's not charity. It's just not. I mean, I, I like it, but don't, don't lie, that's not charity. Justin Trudeau says it's charity because he's trying to bail out his friends. He's trying to bail out Gerald Butts' friends. So if they can be charities, I mean, why would we be the only idiots not getting charitable status? And why don't we get charitable status so we can issue charitable tax receipts? I'd like your views on that. Send me an email, Ezra at therebel.media. If that's the new law, would we be foolish not to avail ourselves of it? That's our show. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom. 